Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Hope you have your double hazmat suit handy. It's episode 334 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. Yes, a safe distance away from you. But the reason I bring that up is that we're going to be talking about an independent movie that's coming out on September the 25th called LX2048. It stars James D'Arcy and Anna Brewster. Really interesting movie. Going to talk to director Guy Moshe about that. Man, does he have some interesting insights into this dystopian future sci-fi movie. So we'll talk to him here shortly. Also got a double review this week. We're going to be talking about Departure that's on the Peacock streaming service. I'll have another one for you too coming up, a couple of comics, and some very interesting nerd news that's got me really fired up. And, of course, some really good news about the She-Hulk casting coming up as well. But first, we're going to start our double review week with a look at Jurassic World's Camp Cretaceous that is finally out. Going to do some spoiler-free chatter on that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey guys, it's Jake Manley from Netflix's The Order, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Gather around, campers, because it's time to talk about a brand new animated series from Netflix. It's Jurassic World, Camp Cretaceous. You've heard me talk about the trailer and other stuff. Now it's time to actually talk about the series, which is now streaming on Netflix. Now, since it's just come out today, as I'm, you know, put podcasts out on Friday, not really going to spoil anything. Maybe some character details here and there, just some minor stuff, but not stuff that actually happens in the series. Now, basically, this is about a camp for kids that is on Isla Nublar. Now, I say kids, we're talking about younger teenagers, like 13-ish, and that that's kind of the vibe for where these kids are at and it seems like the main part of the story centers around a kid named Darius who is just he is the one that is passionate about dinosaurs wanted to go to Jurassic World his entire life and just wasn't able to go until he finds himself in a position to be able to go and you'll see that in the very fir- in the very beginning of the first episode you'll see how it is and he ends up on Camp Cretaceous now, and he is instantly likable, by the way. If there is one character on this series that you can't help but like, it is Darius. I mean, he is just has that infectious personality. And like how we all were at a certain age and how much we love dinosaurs and maybe still do, right? He is everything. He, he is the kid that I identify with when I was younger, when I was getting into, when I was really getting into dinosaurs, so it's just a he was the kind of breath of fresh air. Everybody else, eh, there's a sliding scale of whether or not you're actually going to like everybody else. I mean, you've got Brooklyn, who's kind of like the internet sensation, and you got Kenji, who's the least likable of all of them, like the typical spoiled rich kid, and then you've got Yaz, who's kind of like the loner, and then you've also got. You've got Sammy, and she's kind of the overenthusiastic one. She's got that kind of bubbly personality a little bit. She's, but she, you could tell there's something's not quite right there as you're watching the show. You could tell that there's something more going on with her 
that meets the eye. And then you've got Ben, who is the typical nerd who, you know, like gets sick all the time and has allergies and stuff like that. So there's a lot of tropes when it comes to the kid characters in this show. You're you're just going to find that. And then you're either going to be okay with it or you're not. And, and the camp counselors, too, quite frankly, especially one of them is like the dude bro. And then you've got one that's the, the that's clearly the, the more serious one but still wants the kids to have fun sort of thing. So, again, I don't really want to go into the details of all the episodes. There's there's eight of them in this first season. I will tell you, though, that if you're wondering, like, is this like a kid version of Jurassic World or is this an adult version? Where are we at here? It kind of toes the line a little bit. It leans toward kid slash young adult a lot more than it leans to adult. I will tell you that. There are some adult things that happen in this, but keep in mind it is a TV PG rated show, so it can only be but so adult. So if that's the bar you're setting for this show, that's where it's at. If that's kind of where you where you think you if that's kind of where you're kind of basing it off of, then that's where it's at. And there's you know I can't help you there, but it definitely doesn't scream kid show to me, but it also doesn't scream adult show. To me, and there are some interesting things that happen in the show. You know, the 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 dinosaurs are very well done. I thought the movements in the animation were very fluid. But I mean, you got Dream DreamWorks Animation Production. You're going to get fluid animation, right? And I can see, I I kind of can see what Scott Kramer and and Aaron Hammersley were doing here, the showrunners. I kind of see what they were going for. But the problem is, is that for for so long in the beginning of this series. There's so many episodes where it seems episodic and then it kind of acts like it wants to go somewhere and tell this main story, you know, a centralized story. And it doesn't seem like the show knows what it wants to be for at least part of the time. Anyway, it does get its legs a little bit in the middle and you start to see a story forming, but at the same time, it's like, okay, so is this going to be an episodic thing where we're finding out whether or not the kids are going to get out of trouble or are, are certain things that the dinosaurs are going to do or certain things that just pop up on the island, or is this going to be a show that's like about a centralized story? And there are certainly shows that can do both, but it's shows that have decided early on we're going to do both. And this show doesn't seem to have made that decision, right? It seems like it kind of does, then it doesn't. It's I'm not sure that it kind of knows where it wants to go or it decides, oh yeah, maybe we should have something going on here that's bigger than just each of these episodes. And there there are a couple more tropes here, like the interactions between the kids. I say kids, teenagers are kind of predictable and how their relationships go is kind of predictable. And you'll sort of see how, you know, like just like any other teenager, right? They've all got their different set of problems and worries and things like that. And those, again, Pretty predictable, except for Darius. He's the one that I always go back to in this whole thing. Darius is the one that this show, it's its its kind of like he's the one that the show always comes back to. If the show knows it's one thing, it's that this show lives and dies by what goes on with Darius, period. That's just, excuse me, Darius. This show lives and dies by what goes on with Darius, period. Okay? So you focus on that character and you keep going. And that's what they do sometimes. Not necessarily all the time, but sometimes. And 
I mean, the voice acting is done very well. I think the voice acting cast does a great job. So this is not on them at all. It just feels like story-wise, I wish that we would have gotten the vibe that, okay, this is what we're doing earlier on. The episodes themselves, you know, so they're, they're entertaining. But again, if you're looking for something that's just like the movies, this is not it. This is not just like the movies. You're going to get vibes here and there. You're going to hear names that you recognize. You're going to get little Easter eggs here and there. But you're not really going to get what the live action movies are. But quite frankly, I think that that's an unfair comparison. I don't know how you could expect that from this series. Does it live in the world? Absolutely. But it's it lives in a world where it's being presented differently and to a different audience, right? Is this something that younger people would probably enjoy more than someone like myself? Probably. I could see someone that's younger really getting in to this story. I would lean on a younger teenage years or, you know, like say, I mean, I could say like eight, nine, ten years old sort of thing. This is something you could enjoy if you have a son that age. You two could enjoy it together. You're probably not going to love it as much as they are, but your son or daughter, but at the same time, there's uh, there's stuff there that as an adult, you can enjoy it as well. So, you know, this is kind of like a little bit past way, past halfway point for me. It's like a six or a seven in that range. I lean closer to six than I do to seven out of 10, just because I wished it would have found its footing a little bit sooner. And if it had from the very beginning, then I think it would have been a little bit more generous. But you sort of, there, there are certain things that you sort of see coming and understand and then there's other ones that when they decide to do it, you say to yourself, well, why didn't we, why didn't you, you know, focus on that a little bit sooner? Granted, these are half hour episodes and you can only get in so much in a half hour. But still, you know, again, I, maybe I'm nitpicking a little bit, but give it a shot yourself and tell me what you think. That's going to do it for my spoiler free ish review of Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous from Netflix, which is now streaming, by the way. Speaking of now streaming up next, how about we drop even more spoilers, though? in my review of Departure from Peacock. That's up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Audrey Esparza from Blind Spot on NBC, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. As if you needed one more reason to question whether or not you want to get on an airplane, how about Peacock's new series called Departure that was actually a Canadian series as well? It's, well, it's based off the Canadian series, as I said when I talked about the trailer from before starring Archie Punjabi's in this. you got Christopher Plummer and another amazing cast. And yes, this is basically a, you know, mysterious plane disappearance, conspiracy theory type thing. But, you know, here's the one thing that some people were, were wondering about. And I'm only going to, there are going to be some spoilers when I talk about this, but I'll only do spoilers for the first episode just in case you're not caught up. So I, so I won't spoil anything past the first episode, even though this has already been out in Canada and all kinds of other stuff. Just don't want to do it just in case anybody's not caught up. So basically, the one question I got from from so many of you was, you know, well, how is this different from Manifest? That That's also an NBC product. Of course, this being Peacock, but, you know, it's still in the same NBC Universal family. And basically what it is is that there's not as much of a sci-fi or or otherworldly thing that makes this a that makes it similar to manifest. There is a legit conspiracy here theory here that there is that they you also have that in manifest, but 
In Manifest, you're dealing with callings and all kinds of stuff that you can't really explain. With this, you've got the conspiracy theory aspect of it, but there's clearly an investigation that's going on. It's more of a linear track to where you're going and not going off on all these, you know, crazy, you know, callings and things like that. And and I love that about Manifest, but I also love that this is a different approach to a plane mystery, which I, I love a good plane mystery, a disappearance, as long as I'm not the one that's actually on the plane. I, I really enjoy it. And it, it's a really cool investigation. And you've got you know your typical investigation team that is a part of things. You got a little bit of infighting going on there, you know, everybody thinking that this this should have been their case. As a matter of fact, the tension early on between Archie Punjabi's Kendra and and Dom, who's played by Chris Holden Reed, is palpable. Like Dom feels like this should have been my case. This should have been my ball to run with. And all of a sudden here comes Kendra to kind of take things over after. And and she's actually been through something. She actually had a tragedy where I, I if I'm remembering correctly, her, her husband passes away and something, you know, happened in an investigation. They didn't think she'd be back at all. And yet she gets this high profile investigation because she was brought in by Christopher Plummer's Howard to kind of lead the team because he's like, we need you. And then there's, and then you start to wonder, okay, why would they pull her in to this now, given the circumstances, how deep does this thing go? Is there something that, you know, and my radar was up from first from episode one, like something's weird about this whole thing and how it was set up just investigation wise, my radar was up. So it was just very, very interesting. And then we also get to see, you know, the aspect of the plane, which we also do see, again, on Manifest. But again, this is approached a little bit differently. So you've got the, the focus is really on Rebecca Lillard's Madeline. That's a character that we follow quite a bit. She, basically, you know, you just went for a job interview. You missed your flight. You end up on this one and weird stuff happens. Now, we do find out that there was a terrorist on board that airline, right? That There there was at least a at least not if not a terrorist, somebody that was on the you no know, fly list sort of thing, right? And then the pilot's acting weird the entire time, and it turns out, you know, the pilot's, again, the spoilers for the first episode, turns out the pilot's leading this double life, and, the, and there's just so many different avenues that this investigation takes that you don't need that little something extra of, well, how can we make this otherworldly? There's nothing wrong with just focusing on the investigation and the conspiracy and being that, and this show does that well. Now, there's still the mystery of the one survivor that you have that they find when they're tracking things down. I actually thought it was really interesting how they kind of figured out how they would find this plane in the first place with the pings and stuff like that because they couldn't get their signals. There's a storm coming. They're not sure they would be able to even search for survivors, never mind rescue anybody sort of thing. So th- there was a lot of tension in that first episode that kind of grabbed me and pulled me in. And the more and more I watched it, because, you know, I was, you know, I was questioning it too. You know, how is this going to be different from manifest, which is also from NBC. But the, but as I was watching it, it was very obvious that this is just a very different kind of story with a very, very good cast too, by the way. And there's a family aspect here as well, because you've got Madeline's boyfriend who was supposed to be on that flight with her and wasn't. And then you, you bring her dad in the mix and dad doesn't necessarily approve of their marriage that's coming up so you've got that back and forth there you've also got the airline that you're dealing with you know because anytime something like this would happen you know the the airline's going to be under the microscope so you get their 
that you get that aspect of it from how they're approaching things and how they approach the the surviving family members or the family members that are involved with the people that were in the crash. So there's all kinds of different angles at play here, and they focus on them in in a very deliberate way that that's all you kind of need to do to keep me interested. If you throw one more thing in there, it's going to get bogged down, it's going to get confusing, and you're going to not only wonder where you're at, but you're going to go, well, why am I even, you know, why are we even breaking away to do this when we really should be focusing on this? And and then how the story layers out beyond that is also really, really interesting. But again, I don't want to spoil anything past the first episode, just in case you're not caught up since the series just dropped on the Peacock streaming service. But this is one that's really, really interesting to me. Definitely worth your time, especially if you like a good conspiracy theory. And sure, there's some tropes in the dialogue and things like that, but you'd almost wonder why they weren't there, you know? They're not the annoying kind of tropes. When you get to, when you're talking about something like this, like I said, there was tension between Kendra and Dom early on and you know obviously there's there, there's a couple of tropes there's like this should be my case sort of thing but the dialogue wasn't corny when they did it it was more of a it's obvious that dom is pissed that, than anything else and then of course he brings somebody on he brings somebody on which then makes kendra pissed at dom and you kind of see this back and forth thing that's going on so i th- i just thought it was a really interesting way to go about how they structured things and how the dynamics from the characters work together. And just, you give me Christopher Plummer in almost anything, and you've got my attention. And his character, there's just something about him that makes you just really pay attention to go, there's more here, isn't there? You just feel it in your bones that there's more going on with this character. So if you haven't had a chance yet, fire up the Peacock streaming service, watch Departure. You will definitely not be sorry that you did. It's going to do it for my spoiler-ish review of Departure from the Peacock streaming service. Up next, time to sit down with Guy Moshe and talk about a little LX2048. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Jacqueline Soslowski from Power Rangers Beast Morphers, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. So what do you think the near future is going to look like? Well, here's a movie that's going to try and put their take on it. What's the year 2048? going to look like it might be pretty crazy too it's the movie is called lx 2048 and we have the director with us today it's guy moshe guy how you doing i'm doing great thank you so for anyone that might not be familiar with the film guy why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, lx 2048 well it's a it's a kind of a, it has a big sort of like background to it i guess in terms of the, the the world building so it takes place in the near future where the sun has gotten so strong and, uh, and, and harmful that people cannot leave the, their homes during daytime anymore. And therefore, so, so, so like the whole world order shifts towards night. But since we're already in an age of kind of virtual reality, the result of that is that most of our daily lives is just shifting into the virtual realm. And on the backdrop of this kind of uh, dystopian future, we're following a father of three who's so like getting a lot of, uh, is, is in a bad time in his life, trying to kind of figure out how to save his family with the, with the remaining uh, weeks he have or months to stay alive. So it's, it's, it's a lot of topics kind of folded in together. But for me, the film is about what it means to be human, I guess. We'll talk a little bit more about Adam here in just a second. Now, it looks like we're in a world where it's more and more dependent 
on technology. You were kind of touching on that. So do you feel like LX2048 is more of a real world look at how a society hooked on virtual reality might look like? I mean, for me, the film, I think the tone I was going for was slightly satirical, you know? So I, was, I wasn't really trying to aim at something that would be, uh, you know, like my projection of one-to-one -one what it's gonna feel like. Certainly the times we live in right now, you know, nobody could have expected the film to be so timely as we speak, you know, I, I, I certainly haven't. But I think for me, what is kind of a, a funny, you know, warning sign in the film that I do think is, is accurate is, is the idea of isolation. And the fact that if we're not careful, we're, we're, we're heading into a future where we, we limit our social interactions so much to the point where we, we might kind of, you know, evolve past our own biological humanity, if you will, if that makes sense. And I was just giving an example about going to the supermarket and interact with machines on your way out when you buy, you know, groceries and stuff like that. I think there's much more profound implications to that type of kind of life experience than, than just what meets the eye, you know, at first glance. No doubt about it. Now, I feel like there are many ways that viewers could look at Adam Bird, played by James D'Arcy. Now, to me, I feel like I kind of kept changing my view of him as the story went on. So talk about the what, what the process was like in coming up with his story and what your perception of him was. I think that, that as human beings, we have sort of like, um, you know, three images or four images of, of, of ourselves in a way, right? So you, you, have, you have who you really are, which most of us have, have a very hard time admitting to ourselves, right? Like that, that, no that, doubt, that's yeah. one, one thing. And then we have the image of the person we kind of wish to be or we hope to be socially. So we try and project that image to the outside world. And then there is the image of what people actually see us objectively as, like in their eyes. And then there is our true potential right, to be the, the best version of ourselves. And I think for me, when you look at the, those kind of three, four, you know, iterations of any human being, what's interesting about it is that the best version of ourselves, you know, is always going to be, uh, you know, should be a likable or a lovable person in a sense that it's like, like, like a, a person who's at peace with himself, right? And with Adam, I think if you look at the film, the journey I'm trying to take him through is through those different iterations, if you will, right? So to be, we start the film with a person who's, who's very much blind to, you know, the things that truly motivate him and taking through this hallucinatory journey into finding out not only who he really is, but, but you know, what his, what his outside best version could look like as well. You know what I mean? So that, that was the journey that I was thinking about as the character progresses. So speaking of James D'Arcy, I mean, he seemed to just command <clears throat> every scene that he was in, and there was a lot of them. And I mean, really give it his all. So what was it like working with him on so many of those scenes, and how incredible was his performance in your eyes? I think he was terrific. I think he was a true collaborator. I, I couldn't have asked for a better collaborator, to be honest, on the film. Um, I got a chance to do something that, for the first time in my career at least, that, that I would love to continue doing on any film I make, which was I had a chance to go and sit down with him and read the entire script before we started shooting and go wow. over every scene together, uh, literally sitting in the, at his apartment in London and just like, you know, drinking coffee and battling out some of these kind of, you know, nitty gritty details in the script and got a chance to really explain to him what, what, 
you know, where the, the, the moments and the scenes came from and also hear from him some of his own reflections and be able to sort of like do a pass on the script so where I could fit the voice to his voice a little bit because I think we all speak differently. We all, we all have different mannerisms or different kind of like, you know, intonations and the way we put kind of emphasis on certain things and the way we carry ourselves physically or whatever. So having the right. chance to do that with him and having a chance later to also rehearse all the scenes between him and Rina, I got a chance to rehearse with both of them before we started shooting, which was again, a wonderful thing to do. Um, and, and obviously the final scene of the movie, like the climax of the film, it was impossible to shoot without doing a measure of rehearsal to know what we're doing, you know? So I think all of that preparation to have an actor who's so committed and who's by your side and is able to kind of, you know, help you track where we are in the journey and the performance and all that stuff. That was just a terrific experience. And I would love to work with him again. And it was just amazing. You know? That would be excellent. We're talking to Guy Moshe, who is the director of LX2048, which is going to be in virtual cinemas and on video on demand on September the 25th. Now, Guy, oftentimes, and I'm, you touched on this a little bit earlier, and I'm glad you did, because oftentimes when you see a film about a dystopian future, whether it be near future or far future, there's typically, typically like a singular cause, but LX2048, like you said, seems to have like multiple causes and multiple things going on. So how did you balance focusing on both the fall of the planet and humanity together? So I think, again, I, I do think the central focus of the film is the human being inside this kind of insane amount of, of progress that surrounds us, you know? And this is how I was, I think, thinking about it. And I also, if you noticed... And that wasn't necessarily even the fact that it's, that, that it's an independent film or whatnot. I, I always find it kind of bizarre that when we imagine in cinema 20, 30 years from now, people immediately start shooting, you know, spaceships uh, up your street and, you know, like everything feels like we, we've jumped a thousand years forward. When you look back 25 years from today, the world wasn't that different, you know? Exactly. You, you go outside. So for me, it was very important to, on the one hand, stay grounded in the physical world so then the the physical world doesn't necessarily advance leaps and bounds within 25 years or what have you but on the other hand because we increasingly are moving so much of our life as we speak even now into the kind of digital realm that that's sort of like replacement of what used to be a social interaction that's what the, the focus for me was in trying to examine collectively what it would how it would affect the society and even more individually, this particular human being, you know? So then I put him at the center and then all of these other things were just kind of a byproduct of what I imagined could happen at a time where all these kind of progress is happening around us. Cause it's never just one thing, right? Like that, that's how I was thinking. About exactly. It, right? right. So you were talking about, you touched on this earlier too. And I thought that was really, really interesting. Cause as I'm watching this film, I'm going, this is oddly familiar. A lot of this stuff for some reason right now, because we're living in a, a world of quarantine out of necessity. We're wearing protective masks. So you guys took that up a notch in this movie. And uh, we stayed inside <laughs> as much as possible doing virtual school. I'm doing that with my son right now. So looking back, do you feel like Alex 2048 in a way I'm sure you could have never expected actually kind of mirrors what we're going through a little bit? In a way. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, this is, uh, and I don't want to say it's a pleasant surprise because obviously it's not pleasant. Oh, clearly not, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm in Los Angeles. I don't know if you're in, around, around these parts or not. But like, you know, the other day, even the, 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 the toxicity of the air because of the fires in California became right. such an issue that we're now 
checking the index. This is the first time in my life that I remember looking at the air index quality on my phone to decide whether or not it's safe for my kids to go outside and play basketball or something. Who so knew there me, even was one, right? I didn't, I didn't even know. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, and now I know what the numbers mean. Like if it's 160, it's bad. And you know, I mean, like it's just crazy. So certainly the film feels way more prophetic than I thought it was going to be. Uh, at least not, not like in a, I was thinking about the, the whole VR technology and all that stuff as some sort of a, uh, almost like a satirical enhancement of things that already exist, right? Like, so, you know, our kids are, have certainly a much more intimate relationship with their phones than we ever had, you know? And, and that was where that came from. But now seeing all of this happening around me, it's just, uh, it's pretty insane. And it's also scary because in some way, the, the mental depression part of the movie, you know, I, I do think, was spot on with what could happen to a society if this thing persists, you know? Let's hope we don't get there. Yeah, let's definitely hope that we don't get there. No doubt about that. No doubt about it. Speaking of which, by the way, now, Guy, insurance can be pretty complicated, whether it be, you know, any kind of insurance. And in this movie, you kind of introduce something called Premium 3, and I don't really want to spoil anything, but it's, it's pretty clear what it is in its intent. So the concept really makes you think as the movie goes on and, and it stuck in my mind through the whole movie, even when they weren't talking about it. So I'll ask you if that were available, would you sign up for it? <laughs> you know what? I'd be lying if I said no, probably. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard, right? Probably because you see it and you go, well, I don't know if I could do that. And then you go, well, <laughs> I just, I mean, I have three kids of my own, which again, and I'm happily married, but, but, um, I don't know if I would have wanted to stay by myself and raise them. Right, because it's hard without, enough with without two the people, help, right? Without... I know where you're at, man. I got two, so I know exactly how you feel. <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely think I would be uh, – I, I would have my reservations just like he does, but I think I would be convinced to give it a shot, you know? Yeah, it's, it's definitely there was, and that's why I kept going back and forth on it as I'm watching the movie, even when there was other stuff going on, I'm, I'm like, yeah, but that premium three though. And I'm like, and I, and I couldn't, I decide. just thought it was, you know, it's, I, I, I love that you brought it up because I just thought also that it's so interesting that, you know, the better version of yourself, you're not going to enjoy the better version of yourself. So, you know, it's, it's your spouse that can enjoy the potential of who you can be. You know what I mean? You're not going to be around to actually right, exactly. what you, you could have become. You know? And that's a <laughs> blessing thing. or a curse, depending on how you look at it too. So that's exactly. the thing that I'm doing. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and that's what I thought was so funny about it. And, and, and to me, it was, it was also, you know, clearly I think one of the things that we all secretly want is to feel special in some way and to feel kind of, you know, unique in our in our in our little way and it's 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 kind of a terrible thing right because when we grow up we all know deep in our hearts that like you know we're more 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 like everybody else than different than everybody else sure yeah <laughs> but that's a sad realization as you grow older you know so i, I and, and and on the other hand i think it's interesting uh especially with adam in the film when you're presented with this idea that a, a better version of you could be out there and kind of carrying the torch for you, you still really fight for the kind of genuine nature of who you are with all the weaknesses. And no doubt about it. Yeah. No doubt about it. Now, Guy, before I let you go, other than James D'Arcy, and, and there's plenty of very good performances in this film as well, what other performance or maybe another character are you really looking forward 
to introducing viewers to? I think, I mean, Delroy was fantastic, of course, but Delroy has been fantastic for years. So that, that, that I don't think is going to be a surprise to anyone. But to me, I, I cast Anna Brewster in this role of Rena, and I think she's so talented. I think she's like such a, such a powerful actress and so true and vulnerable. And I think what she does in this movie is, is, is amazing. So I'd really love it, you know, that, that, you know, viewers get a chance to see her in this role. And I'm, I'm very much hoping for her and looking for her to do more of these types of things in the, in the near future, you know, so kind of fulfill her potential, so to speak, you know. You and Hello? me both. You and me yeah. both. And we are going to get to see what that potential is realized in LX. 2048 going to be available in virtual cinemas and video on demand on September the 25th. You get, it's crazy, guys. You got to go check this out and see what this guy was up to as well. It's Guy Moshe. Thank you so much for joining me this week, Guy. Thank you so much, James. It was uh, wonderful talking to you. And, uh, very, very uh, smart and interesting questions as well. So thank you. My name is uh, Liam Sharp. I draw Wonder Woman. I co-founded Mayfire. And I'm a dear and close friend of the Down and Nerdy podcast. Tablets and laptops and long boxes. Oh my, whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading. I wanted to start out with a book that we actually learned about a few months ago and that is finally here from Skybound and Image Comics. It is Stillwater, number one from Chip Zdarsky, Ramon K. Perez on the art here, Mike Spicer on the colors, and Russ Wooten on letters now since this book is already out we're going to do a little bit of, we're going to do a few spoilers here and it actually follows a man named daniel west who isn't the best with people and that seems to be an understatement as you read this book i mean his day kind of starts out he gets fired for pushing a co-worker can't do that right and it ends with even more trouble he seems to have a certain thing about something and you'll again you'll see it when you read the book but it comes up a lot it's it's like a it's like how Marty McFly didn't like people calling him chicken. It, this guy has his own trigger. So, he I mean, he has some friends, but they're kind of enablers. They mean well. You know, he's got what seems like a best friend, but is he helpful? It's hard to kind of say. Now, he gets a mysterious letter, though, about some inheritance, and he heads for Stillwater. That's the title of the book, obviously. So, the problem is, though, that no one seems to know where it is or that it even exists or, but, I mean, they have these directions, so they obviously feel like they're going to the right place. And it, The vibe in this book, though, starts to get eerie about midway, at the midway point, and it just keeps going after that. So, it's interesting, and it's, and the book is self-aware in that they actually reference that in the book, which I thought was interesting. So, you know, obviously, they get there. They get a strange vibe on the town. You will, too, when you read this book. Then something shocking happens in front of them, and it seems like they're the only ones that noticed, and that's when things really start to get odd. And now you find out that there's a reason for that, but it's also the reason that getting fired might not be the worst thing that's going to be happening to Daniel. Now, that leads to a pretty big secret that we learn at the end of this first issue, not the kind of secret that you're expecting to get out of a first issue, so that was cool. And the other thing that was cool was we get a pretty big cliffhanger at the end of this thing as well. Trust me, there's way more to this story than what we've seen so far. It definitely feels like a first issue should feel. Like, okay, you've set the tone for me, and now you're telling me that there's way more to what I just saw. Let me know that I read this first issue, and you've got to do some world building in a first issue. You just have to. But let me know that there's so much more ahead. And this first issue does that 
quite a bit. And and the way that this eerie vibe was set too, you got to give Perez a lot of credit, especially with the expressions on the on every person that Daniel and his friend meet along the way in their journey really sells where this book is going in this first issue as well. I, I yeah, Obviously, the writing does that. But at the same time, you got to give the artist credit because it was all in the art there as well. I, this is a book that definitely gives you, it's a nice horror vibe, but it's got a really good story to it. It's not like super creepy horror, but it's definitely eerie and uncomfortable. And sometimes that just makes a book awesome. So yeah, throw this in my poll box. I'm loving this one. Stillwater number one from Skybound and Image Comics. I decided to dive back into the Catwoman story from DC Comics and a fresh start for Catwoman actually in issue number 25 with Ram V taking over the writing duties now. Fernando Blanco also on the art. Fico Placencia. I might never say that name right. I realize that on the colors there until somebody corrects me anyway. Tom Napolitano on the letters and Joel Jones still sticking around a little bit with the cover here. Also Laura Allred helping out with that. Now this is a Joker War kind of tie-in sort of. It's a collateral damage issue again this book is out so we're going to do a few spoilers here it was interesting to see catwoman teaming up with riddler and penguin to steal joker's money that was a really interesting dynamic that i really dug in this book there's also a kind of a very cool like back and forth in the story and art wise where you're seeing catwoman's moves kind of being displayed as almost as if she's dancing with a tiger. So she's got these scenes with this tiger and, and it's almost like, almost like a high wire type routine side. sort of thing is what it looks like. And then, you know, you go back to, to what what's in the story and you see her maneuvering through certain things. It's just very good. And the art, I mean, my goodness on these scenes with the tiger is just fantastic. It didn't even kind of matter to me that it did. It wasn't really a part of the main story. It was more like a metaphor but man, was it a great one. I mean, if you're going to do that, if you're going to take me out of the main story, you better give me some killer art to go along with it. And they definitely did that in this issue. But kind of the, it, it gives you this one false move and it's over vibe when you're reading this story. Now, true Selena fashion, though, you know it's going to be a double cross in here somewhere, right? But now she has to maneuver her way out of trouble and the interplay between the villains is just so great especially in that moment of the double cross very very good the main story kind of does end on a little bit of a shrug for me i'm not gonna lie uh, there's some other backup stories in here as well though that are pretty good that you've also got one featuring art from john paul leon and another one from juan Ferreira, and that's really really good and it's just they were just fun stories at the end there, but the, the main run, not I'm not saying that, you know, it was a bad issue. I actually liked it. It's just that the end didn't give me that instant, I have to pick up the next issue vibe. And that's not a terrible thing. It was still a nice story. It was still fun, but I didn't get that hook at the end that I was kind of hoping for. It's still a solid start for Ram V and company, though. I think that only time will tell to see how connected this run is going to be to the Joker War or if it's going to continue to do so. It didn't seem like it would be majorly connected based on how the story went. It just feels like maybe this was a solid, this was a way to introduce this new run, and then you sort of move on with your lives after that. But we'll kind of have to see how it goes a little bit. I'm not sure I'm ready to throw this one in the pull box just yet. I will pick up the next one because I want to see what the next step is 
in this story, or if maybe we'll get another jumping on point in issue 26. But issue 25, definitely a good jumping on point if you've been wanting to check this run out from Ram V and company and kind of get on the Catwoman bandwagon. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. Hey, if you've been waiting for my thoughts on Season 2 trailer for The Mandalorian, this is the way. Nerd News, up next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Greg Rucka, comic book writer, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Get ready to Hulk out because it's time for Nerd News. And there's been so much speculation and social media chatter. Who should be cast as She-Hulk for the Disney Plus series? We didn't really know when we'd get the news. And this week, late this week, we got said news. This according to Deadline that Tatiana Maslany, and that might be the first time I've ever said that name correctly, has been cast as She-Hulk. When you get an Emmy winner and someone that's as talented as Tatiana Maslany, you don't complain about that. And I know that the, that some people are still going to, but at the same time, I saw a overwhelmingly positive reaction to this casting news when I saw it because you know how legit amazing she was in Orphan Black. You know how amazing she was in Perry Mason if you watched that series. And if you didn't, by the way, go back and watch it because she's incredible in that thing. The way that the interesting thing about how this is going to be approached is that you have an Emmy Award winning actress who's played some very smart characters in the past that is going to be playing once again another very smart character in Jennifer Walters, which is the cousin of Bruce Banner, by the way, if, in case you didn't know. So I think this is an incredibly spot-on casting by Disney, by Marvel Studios. I don't, you know, and that's why, and it's one that I didn't see anybody mention, right? Like there were other names that were put out there, and it's not that they were bad names, but then you you see them do this, and you go, oh, yeah, that that's a good choice. Almost like you didn't think of it, and then once it happens, you go. Oh well, I'm, I didn't think of that, and that's why they do this, and and I don't. That, that that's one of those things because I didn't have that name on my list either, and I, and I just think that this is incredible. And you get somebody that's just that's already won an Emmy in this role, and, and I think that this brings even more attention to a series that was going to have a lot of attention on it anyway. And but the interesting thing to me was in the news that was earlier in the in the week, and that was Cat Coro. And Kat, I apologize if I butchered your name, is going to be directing this series. And she's got a comedy background. And then you've got Jessica Gao, who's from Rick and Morty, who's going to be the showrunner and run the writer's room. Also a comedy background. Not Rick and Morty, not just a comedy. I realize that. But both being from the comedy realm in this series is interesting to me. And it's not that people... I'm not saying that people who do comedy can't do anything else. But... I go into this thinking, okay, I'm not really expecting this show to be hilarious, right? Marvel tries to inject humor in pretty much everything that they do, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's clearly a formula that's worked very well for them. But I was not prepared for that in this particular series. So I actually think adding a little bit of levity to this series, if that's what they're going to go for could actually make it even better. So I'm very curious to see what direction that they take this thing in. And just based on this casting alone, I'm interested and I'm in. I mean, I, I, was, I wasn't I was as interested in the series before because She-Hulk's never been a character that I've really been big into. 
But now that I see this, you've got me more interested than I would have been before. And I think that's kind of the point of going out and getting somebody like Tatiana Maslany. So bravo for that casting. Speaking of Disney+, Plus, we know The Mandalorian Season 2 is going to be coming out October the 30th. And we finally got a trailer for what is going to be Season 2. And it gives us some confirmation about where Season 2 is going to go. And it's basically Mando going to find the child's people, the child's true family. You know, the, you, you see the, them say that, you know, you need to reunite the, chi- reunite the child with his own kind. And you don't understand why that is, right? We saw Mando in Season 1 try to leave the child behind before with a family in a place where he thought that the child was going to be safe. Of course, that turned out to not be the case pretty quickly and still not safe now, but at least if you're reuniting the child with the child's own people. And I say, you know, you you lock in and say he. We don't know if we're talking about he or she here either. That's the other thing that that I think that kind of gets lost on all this. We don't know if the child is he or she. We have no clue based on, I mean, this is a baby we're talking about here. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of hard to say. At this point. So I think that that's something that's kind of been lost in all this. But to get back on track, so it's not just going to be about, you know, exploring different planets. And it looks like we're going to get to see a lot. Of course, we know we'll get Tatooine. Looks like we might getting be getting Hoth in this as well. And some some others that maybe we're not as familiar with. And it's, I love Mando's reactions. Like, are you freaking kidding me? So I got to go all these different places and just randomly try to track down this kid's family, and it's like, you're one of the best Mandalorians ever, and, you know, this is, you know, tracking people is what you do, track down this family sort of thing, right? So I like that they're taking that angle to it. I also think it was interesting that there's going to be an interaction with the Jedi in this as well. So it's not just it's not just a Moff Gideon that we're going to be talking about here. It's also the fact that we're going to be interacting with the Jedi, and I love how they were described as like magician sorcerers. I thought that that was, I laughed when I, when I heard that in the trailer, but you know, you could kind of see how somebody could say that, right? I think it's funny, but you could still kind of see where somebody could go with that. Right. But again, like the only thing I'm concerned about in this, in this second season is that, reveal of let's just say it call it how it is baby yoda that baby yoda reveal in that first episode of season one was so huge and so just earth shaking and just blew social media up and everybody was talking about it or trying to avoid the spoiler that i feel like there's going to be an expectation that early on in season two there has to be that kind of moment again in this series and i don't know that that has to be the case i think they've earned the right to be able to just tell their story at this point. But I worry that some people are going to expect that, again, major reveal or big shocking moment early on in the series. And that's not to say they can't do it. They obvi- they absolutely have that potential and that opportunity with how they tell their story. So I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm just saying that that's a hard thing to follow up. Okay, When you bring out Baby Yoda, which nobody in a million years was expecting... How do you top that or how do you even equal that with something that you're going to be doing in season two? But I think you've already got the fan base. So I don't think you need to push that or force it in any way. And I don't think they will. I think that they're going to be comfortable at this point in telling their story. And I'm perfectly okay with that. You know, you've set something up that was really great. One of the best first seasons of anything 
that I've seen. So I think, you know, you just be comfortable in your own skin and tell your story and see where things go from there. And that's not to say there won't be amazing reveals and there won't be surprises. I'm sure there will be, but it's hard to top the one they had in season one. So I'm not sure that you really need to go there. But honestly, even if they don't have that, like you're not super looking forward to season two of The Mandalorian on October 30th on Disney+. Plus. You know you are, because I am too. Now, speaking of TV, this is one that I shake my head at it, and I'm so frustrated at it at the same time. So you know that Stumptown was renewed by ABC for a second season. It was put out in the fall lineup. They actually had a panel at Comic-Con at Home, recently to talk about season two. And then this week, in a mind-blowing decision, this one, according to Deadline as well, ABC decides to cancel Stumptown after renewing it because of the delays in production due to COVID-19. Or at least that's what the report says. And I'm like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. First of all, didn't you know this when you were going in and checking and picking out your renewals? And one of the reasons they're like, well, this was supposed to air in the fall. Now it's not going to be able to air in the fall. So why bother? Why bother? Because you built a pretty good fan base in that first season. It was a good show. It was well-written, had a great cast, and you're going to dump it because you can't air it when you want to? Does that not seem like a childish temper tantrum reaction to something like this? I'm sure that's not the only reason. I know that this wasn't the cheapest show to shoot, and there were different locations that they would film at, that, you know, the stunts probably cost a little bit more money than your average series. And there's other challenges, romantically maybe, that you that you would need to get around. But you're not the only show that's going to have these problems, okay? And if other shows can figure it out, you're going to need to figure it out because otherwise you need to ask yourself, what kind of a show am I going to be making here? Think about all the stuff that's coming out that's already in the can, right? All these series that were filmed before the world caught on fire, literally and figuratively. Let, let, let's look at all of these things that were already that already done, and now you're saying, okay, well, what are things going to look like now that there's restrictions in place and now that there's there's only so much you can do and there's only certain things that you're not maybe necessarily going to be able to do now in this new pandemic filming world. I understand that. But at the same time, are you just going to completely cut romance out of your shows because of the pandemic? I don't think you are. Are you going to go ahead and cut stunt scenes because they might be a little bit more expensive? Are you only going to be able to shoot in one location, are you really going to keep your 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 show in one place because you don't feel like you can go on location? I don't see why you couldn't, but maybe they felt like it wasn't worth it for this show. And my question, my question for that is, why not? Why wasn't it worth it for this show? Is it just you know, like superhero and sci-fi series that it's worth it for? There was a lot more going on. This was such a diverse cast, too. By the way. If you and you, you almost kind of that almost kind of goes, you know, you don't really notice that when you're watching it because it's not a huge focus of the show because they just make it come naturally for them. It was a natural thing, and now you're dumping this series to replace it with what? I mean, what are we going to do? Like The Bachelor International, 
the, the, the national paper football championships where you can also fire tennis balls at people while they're playing, something like that. I mean, come on, ABC. You've got to be better than this. And you've got to realize that, yes, this world is going to be filled with new challenges and it can really suck for all of us in different ways, but you've got to find a way to adapt and be able to not dump a show so quickly just because it might be a little hard and just because it might be a little expensive. I get that companies across the board might need to save a little bit more money right now, but there would have been ways to get this show on the air and shame on you for renewing it before you knew for sure you were going to be able to deliver a second season. And you have to know that delays might happen. Look at the Batman. You know, one of the biggest movies that Warner Brothers is going to be putting out in the next couple of years, and they had to shut down production because their star, reportedly, got COVID. So they had to shut down for a second time and quarantine and all that stuff. So, and they pressed on. Now, I get that it's probably heavy-handed, me comparing Stumptown to the Batman, but I'm comparing it in the, in the, in the guise of delays are going to happen. And that, that goes for movies, sports, other things as well. Delays are going to happen. Even in the safest of environments, people are going to test positive. There's going to be challenges in filming. You know, you might need to spend a little bit more money than you would normally. But companies across the board are doing that with the cleaning measures that are, that are more so than they used to be. You know, maybe your, your office is supplying gloves and masks and things like that, whereas they wouldn't have done that before because why would they have needed to, Right. So I think you've got to realize that at some point you can't just push something aside because it's because you feel like it's too difficult or maybe you feel like it wasn't worth it. If you wanted to air, like let's say the show comes back for its second season and they've got three or four episodes in the can, right? Let's say they've got three episodes in the can. They decide to start airing, airing the second season, whenever it might be. If it comes back and you realize that the ratings aren't where you want them to be after a couple of episodes and you don't think it's worth it, cancel it then. Cancel it then and I've got no problem with it. I'm still going to be mad because I like the show. But at least you're showing me that you made some sort of an effort to keep things going. And you didn't just rip the rug out from under it after making these. And, you know, the and these actors and people that are the people that have worked on this show, whether it be producers or, or, or you know, camera operators, anybody that is involved in the show now has to scramble for jobs because they thought they had jobs already in the first place. And now with the fall season, just what, a couple of weeks away or here now, if you want to be technical about it for shows that are already coming out or or anything that might be coming out in the near future. Now you've got to try and find a gig because the gig you thought you were going to have had the rug pulled out from under it from the network that gave it a vote of confidence not that long ago. So it, it's it's just very frustrating, not just for fans of Stumptown, but across the board, because now you have to wonder, you know, the, there's a lot of places that'll do the, you know, which shows are safe and which ones aren't. And usually when something's renewed, you put it in the safe pile. And, you know, barring some sort of some sort of scandal or something like that, you're not going to see a show get canceled that had already been renewed. So this opens the door for a whole other world of possibilities that I didn't know we were actually going to get otherwise. So I, I don't know. This is just a scary precedent. I hope that this is kind of an isolated incident, and I hope that Stumptown is able to find a new home. Really quickly, I want to mention this news because I think that it, it's it's a breath of fresh air, and I think we kind of need that right now. And that is that there's news that 
the latest, the newest Star Trek movie that's going to be coming up from Noah Hawley, according to Variety, is going to have an all-new crew. So that means no Kirk, no Picard. They are going to be going with a new crew. Now, the script is finished, but, you know, there's not really a whole lot in the way of, you know, hiring that's gone on or casting or anything like that, according to the story from Variety. Of course, Noah Hawley's been working on this latest season of Fargo from FX as well. So that's, you know, kind of been keeping him busy a little bit. But he specifically says that they're not doing Kirk and they're not being Picard because he wanted to do what he did with Fargo. You know, he's like, you know, this has nothing to do with, you know, because the series has nothing to do with the movie, right? Well, now there's going to be canon, but you're not going to get what you've already gotten before. So this is not going to be some reboot It's not going to be a rehash. It's not going to be an adjacent type of thing. He's going with an all-new crew, and that's a ballsy thing to do, sure. But at the same time, isn't that just what Star Trek needs on the big screen? They need something fresh. They need something new. When Discovery first came out, it was that breath of fresh air that Star Trek fans have been waiting for, right? You're like, oh, finally. Finally, we're going to get something like this. And I think that that's what they're trying to do with this new movie from Noah Hawley. And then you see how it goes, right? You make this movie and you go from there and see how it goes. At the end of the day, it's still Star Trek, right? Or at least you hope that it is, depending on how the story shakes out. But I just think that this is this is the, the thing that I think I was waiting for and I think a lot of fans were hoping for is that we're finally going to get something new because it's not like the reboots really, you know, were, were well-received and we've seen different and we've seen different iterations on TV before but now we're finally on the big screen going to get something that's just different and right now i don't think that there's anything wrong with that at all and we'll see where that goes actually that's going to do it for this week's edition of the down and nerdy podcast again thanks to Guy Moshe for joining me to talk about LX2048 which you can see at virtual cinemas and video on demand on September the 25th. Also, you want more information on, you know, a lot of the stuff that I've talked about on the show this week, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. Also, follow along on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram and at downandnerdy on Facebook. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.